Welcome to this month's special programming series, Focus on Cancer, on ReachMD XM157. Aspirin and NSAIDs to prevent colon cancer. Does it work? What are the risks? How shall we proceed? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, your host. And with me today is Dr. Andrew Chan, Assistant Professor of Medicine at the Harvard Medical School and Practicing Gastroenterologist at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Chan. My pleasure. Thank you. I've heard uh, and read articles about NSAIDs and aspirin for prevention of colon polyps. What is the pathophysiology? What's the theory behind that? Well, uh, people first became interested in understanding the role of aspirin and NSAIDs in colon cancer when it became apparent quite a while ago as a clinical observation that patients with rheumatoid arthritis and other sort of arthritic conditions seem to have a lower risk of colorectal cancer. And people began to do studies and sort of started to conclude that potentially it was because of the high intake of NSAIDs and aspirin that patients with rheumatoid arthritis were taking. Subsequent to that, there were also studies that were done that showed that aspirin and more specifically NSAIDs like Sulindac seemed to actually have a role in regressing and reducing the number of polyps in patients that had familial polyposis syndromes. And so those clinical observations really spurred a lot of interest in understanding what sort of mechanisms may underlie the risk reduction. So, you know, subsequent to that, a lot of laboratory and animal studies were done, which suggested that the mechanism may be related to inhibition of COX-2, which is a specific isoenzyme of the cyclooxygenase family. Uh, it became apparent that COX-2 is an enzyme which appears to be upregulated in conditions of inflammation. Uh, it also seems to be increased when provoked by specific uh, tumor promoters. And so it became clear that potentially the mechanism was related to inhibition of COX-2 because it was already known at that point in time that aspirin and NSAIDs were inhibitors of COX-2. Mm-hmm. And so it started as a uh, clinical observation, then moved more into the uh, Petri dish basic science arena. Does COX-1 seem to play any role here or it's exclusively COX-2? Uh, we think it's primarily COX-2. I think the um, studies originally had shown that if you look at normal colon tissue, there is expression of COX-1. However, as you sort of progress from normal colon tissue to the adenoma stage of neoplasia, you know, the preneoplastic polyp, 60 to 70% of adenomas actually express COX-2. And then as you get to the cancer stage, about 80% of cancers will express COX-2. So it seemed like there was a progressive upregulation of COX-2 expression from normal tissue to the cancer, which was not true of COX-1. And it also became apparent that in animal studies, it was specific knockout of the COX-2 gene in mice that seemed to reduce the number of polyps in you know, animal models of the colon cancer. And it was also specific drugs that targeted COX-2 that had the effect of reducing polyp burden in animals and uh, cancer incidence in animals. So it really looked specific to COX-2. And it sort of made sense because COX-1 is pretty universally expressed in, in the body and it's not something that is typically upregulated, or we don't think is typically upregulated by the type of stimuli that we think promote tumor genesis, mm-hmm. uh, whereas COX-2 is certainly an enzyme that is upregulated in those settings. So I think more and more people are starting to really hone in on COX-2 as the specific target for aspirin and NSAIDs in the colorectal cancer pathophysiology. Hmm. Now, what comes to mind is uh, Crohn's disease and certain other mucosal abnormalities besides the genetic familial polyposis syndromes. Does this line of reasoning have any applicability to those type of patients? Well, that's a very good question. We think that the pathogenesis of colon cancer in Crohn's and ulcerative colitis may be somewhat different than the pathogenesis of neoplasia 
in sporadic cases. Mm. It seems as if patients with Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, you know, have this sort of baseline level of inflammation. Um, and it's clear that patients with Crohn's and ulcerative colitis have a high risk of colon cancer, and it seems to be directly correlated with both the duration of colitis and the intensity or the severity of colitis. So it seems those two factors seem to put people on a pathway that leads to dysplasia and colon cancer, but it appears that the specific genetic pathways that lead to neoplasia in Crohn's and ulcerative colitis doesn't really look the same as in sporadic cancer. It does seem like inflammation is important. It's not really clear, though, if it's exactly the same pathway and if COX-2 is as relevant in ulcerative colitis and Crohn's. And if it is relevant, it's not clear that it would be safe to interrupt that pathway given the possibility of flaring their colitis. Well, in the asymptomatic population, Dr. Chan, what is the data on aspirin and other NSAIDs in terms of their preventive abilities? Initially, it was very clear that there seemed to be a chemopreventative benefit to aspirin and specifically NSAIDs for patients with familial adenomatous polyposis. And that generated the interest in understanding whether that could translate into a meaningful chemopreventative benefit for patients with sporadic cancer. So there had been a series of clinical trials that were designed to look at this question. And these trials were completed in uh, 2003 and 2004. What they showed was aspirin seemed to reduce the risk of adenoma recurrence in patients that were at high risk for adenoma recurrence. Specifically, these were trials that enrolled patients that had a prior history of adenomas that were resected in colonoscopies, and they were randomized to aspirin. And subsequent to that, recolonoscoped you know, at different intervals, one to three-year intervals, and their rate of recurrence was assessed, and it was found that the patients that were randomized to aspirin had a reduced risk of recurrent polyps. And so that really provided some pretty compelling uh, evidence of causality that aspirin had a chemopreventive benefit in the whole adenoma to carcinoma sequence. So for secondary prevention, that's impressive data. Correct. And it was sort of the first real level of randomized trial data that we had in sort of a a reasonably um, moderate risk population. I think we consider the patients with FAP or familial polyposis to be the very high risk, obviously, for colon cancer and colon polyps. And the patients that have had prior histories adenomas, they're sort of intermediate in risk in the sense that they will probably have a higher rate of recurrence, uh, although many of their features and baseline characteristics are very similar to patients that have never had adenomas. Is there some data on primary prevention? So the primary prevention data has been my area of primary interest because, you know, obviously the randomized trials looking at aspirin in recurrent adenoma have been important, but they don't tell some, but don't tell us a complete story about whether aspirin would be effective in preventing colon cancer long-term because the assumption has been in the randomized trials that the adenoma is sort of an adequate surrogate for colon cancer. If you can, you know, prevent the adenoma from forming, the theory is that you will prevent the cancer from forming. Mm -hmm. And while that seems to be a logical hypothesis, there are lots of things that we know of that can sort of shape the way adenomas change in the cancers, and and there's a lot uh, that goes on from the progression of normal mucosa to cancer. So it's sort of been an unproven, somewhat unproven theory that the adenoma is an adequate surrogate endpoint. So it's been important for us to take a look at data to examine the specific question as to whether aspirin can really reduce the long-term risk of colon cancer because that's really the end point of clinical interest. Because it maybe you can reduce, you know, the adenoma, but can you sustain that risk benefit? Can that be something that really will have a long-term impact? I think that question has been murkier. So mm-hmm. to address that question, 
it's been difficult to do clinical trials because obviously colon cancer is a reasonably slow process. We think the uh, you know cancer develops probably over at least a 10-year period from the point in which a person initially gets some dysplastic tissue to the point in which they develop an adenoma and then to the point where they get a cancer. So clearly, if it's at least a 10-year process to get from normal tissue to cancer, you, you need to treat patients for at least 10 years before you could expect to see a benefit in a clinical trial. Mm-hmm. And we also know the incidence of colon cancer is, is um, while it's a very prevalent cancer and it's the probably the second leading overall cause of cancer death in the U.S., the incidence is still relatively low when you compare it to other more common and frequent chronic diseases like heart disease or hypertension. Mm-hmm. So the number of patients you would have to actually enroll in these trials would be very, very large. Mm-hmm. So what we've really relied on is data that we've collected in uh, large population-based cohorts that have been followed for you know, many, many years to examine the relationship between their intake of aspirin and NSAIDs and the development of colon cancer. So our specific studies have been looking at cohorts of health professionals. Um, one study is a nurse's health study, which has enrolled over 121,000 nurses uh, since 1976 and really followed them carefully over the last 30 or so years by assessing through regular questionnaires, you know, what is their intake of NSAIDs, what is their intake of aspirin, mm-hmm. uh, and then subsequent to that, identifying which of the nurses developed colon cancer and which of the nurses died from colon cancer. We also did this in a parallel population of men, the Health Professionals Follow-Up Study, which is a cohort of about 51,000 male health professionals who were enrolled initially in 1986. And in a very similar way, we've been biannually surveying these men Mm -hmm. to, again, find out their use of medications and their other lifestyle factors, and then also trying to assess if they've developed a disease on points of interest like colon cancer. What we did is we looked prospectively at the question, does taking aspirin reduce the overall risk of cancer in these cohorts? And we did find pretty convincingly in both the cohorts that aspirin significantly reduced the risk of colon cancer, at least by 25% as sort of a reasonable moderate dose. So at least 325 milligrams a day for a minimum of 6 to 10 years to see a clinical benefit based on these studies. Correct. And risks of the uh, therapy? We know that taking aspirin, particularly over a long period of time, does raise the, uh, the possibility that someone might develop a gastrointestinal bleed. And that is something that we did observe in our studies. It did seem like the incidence of gastrointestinal bleeding was higher, and it did seem to be related to dose. The participants who took the higher doses of aspirin did seem to have a higher incidence of bleeding. You know, what's interesting, obviously, is that gastrointestinal bleeding is certainly a dreaded complication and certainly something that you want to avoid. But we didn't have any deaths, for example, from gastrointestinal bleeding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and gastrointestinal bleeding generally was something that, that is manageable. You know, it does obviously raise concern about using these as sort of overall chemopreventatives because, you know, it is a side effect that certainly affects people's quality of life and does influence hospitalization, et cetera. At this point, as a clinical bottom line for the general population or for any specific populations, does it make sense for us to be recommending 325 milligrams of aspirin a day? The United States Preventative Services Task Force recently came out with a position statement on this last year. Uh, which I entirely concur with, which was that the data does not really support the use of aspirin in an average risk population for colon cancer prevention uh, for a couple reasons. One is because we don't really know how to weigh these risks and benefits for individual patients. How do you weigh the risk of bleeding when the outcomes are so different? Obviously, cancer is a dreaded complication and bleeding is a complication, but, you know, what are the relative trade-offs in getting each of these different problems? So, you know, that makes it difficult to really know from a risk-benefit standpoint whether it's an acceptable risk. It may be for some people, it may not be for others, but it's certainly something that would be an individual decision. So we can't certainly make a population-based recommendation since it is a very difficult equation. 
you know, there's certainly other options that people have for colon cancer prevention. We know screening does significantly reduce incidence of colon cancer, and through the National Polyp Study, we know that it, it likely, uh, you know, reduces mortality from colon cancer. So we have very good options at this point for prevention of colon cancer. And I think aspirin as sort of a population-based option needs to be carefully evaluated in comparison with things like screening. It seems like screening would be the better way to go because obviously you don't have those long-term issues with the bleeding, et cetera. But having said that, you know, we know there's a subset of the population, a significant subset that don't get screened for whatever reason. We know also that there are certain patients that are potentially very high risk for colon cancer, either by virtue of family history or because of prior colonoscopies that have showed a lot of polyps that they haven't been able to necessarily remove adequately. So there might be subsets of patients for whom the risk-benefit trade-off might be appropriate. So I think that's where uh, individual patients need to discuss that with their clinicians. Well, I want to thank Dr. Andrew Chan, who has been our guest as we've been discussing aspirin as a chemotherapeutic uh, preventive agent uh, for colon polyps and colon cancer. Uh, Dr. Chan has outlined for us some of the data on this question and at this point cannot be recommended for general use, but perhaps worthy of some consideration in special high-risk populations. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Thank you for listening. Listen all month as ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals, as we feature a special series, Focus on Cancer.